Welcome to Bible Line, a ministry of Calvary Community Church. Our podcast is dedicated to the clear teaching of God's Word. We aim to help people find Jesus Christ and train believers through the study of the Bible. We would love to feature your questions on the show. You can email us at questions at BibleLineMinistries.org. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to calvaryoftampa.org forward slash donate. Catch new episodes every Thursday. We pray today's episode is a blessing to you. So I wanted to talk about this because there are a lot of things that I'm hearing about soteriology. And please, I, I hope you understand this is going to be, this is very, this is, a, this is a teaching message. It's not necessarily where I'm going to uh, go into the scripture and use illustrations and, you know, point out an issue. We are going to get into the scripture, but we're going to get into the details of this doctrine of soteriology. This is the doctrine of salvation. And it's important that we understand all the aspects of it, what it is not, what it is, the terminology that is used that is correct and biblical, the terminology that is used, it's just propaganda, it's just a turn of phrase that's been used and it's nowhere in the Bible. It's important that we understand these things because this is how we are able to determine if someone is a child of God or not. We have to be able to understand is what this person trusting in enough to save them? This is where, this is where we boil it, out, uh, boil it down to the main thing. I'm going to read you an excerpt that was sent from my friend. Uh, this is my friend Cody. He um, was in a ministry. Well, he actually wasn't in a ministry, but he was very confused for a long time. Literally took the words of Jesus when he said, you have to feed the poor, you have to uh, help the sick and all these things. And he thought to himself, how can I use my business to start a soup kitchen? to start a ministry so that I can say I've done these things. He was taking verses about discipleship and applying them to salvation because somebody was teaching him that. Somebody was teaching him that discipleship and salvation, they're the same thing. That is not true. And we have to understand the terminology that's used in order to understand what the Bible is clearly teaching. I want you to listen to this here. Jesus' understanding of belief in him contradicts today's prevailing gospel, which declares salvation to be a free gift that costs a person nothing. Jesus unequivocally called men to calculate the cost before making a decision to follow him. There's two things here. Number one, free grace is not the prevailing gospel. I don't know what world this author is living in, but free grace is not the prevailing gospel. The prevailing gospel right now is the prosperity gospel. It is I give, I pray, I tithe, I do good things, and therefore the Lord has to give me success here on the earth. That is the prevailing gospel message, the name it, claim it gospel. Then underneath that is the lordship salvation. I've given my life to the Lord. I remember this day in 1966, I gave my life to the Lord. It's so interesting. I was at a yard sale yesterday, or excuse me, I was at the flea market yesterday, and someone had gotten rid of their Bible, and it had all these different notes in it. And it was amazing to me that someone had gotten rid of that. Maybe that person had passed away. But I, I started looking like, okay, what do they say about 1 John 3, 9? What do they say about 1 John 5, 13? This guy was, he was clear. He was on it. But in the front of his Bible, he said that he was saved in 1966. I hope that he had a correct understanding of what salvation is. Because the day of your salvation is not the day that you had an emotional experience to give your life to the Lord. That ain't it. It's not what it is. This author is contending that belief 
it means 100% it is a decision to follow him. Does the scripture prove that out? That's some of the things that we're going to look at in this series. Here's another quote from that same author. If a person has any reservations about obeying the Lord or is unwilling to relinquish anything or any sin, he is not ready to repent and believe in Christ for salvation. If such a person is encouraged to make a decision to be saved, there has to be works to back it up. Listen, that's what is being printed and going into the hands of people around the world. I, I, I say this respectfully, but just a few pages down, a few pages over, you get this statement. We intend to follow and obey him, though we may not understand much of what it means. Let me, let me put the brakes here for a second. Do you know what that's telling somebody? You've got to turn from it all. You've got to uh, forsake it all. But we don't know really what that is. You know how much fear that puts in the heart of an honest person who's just trying to get saved? They look at their leaders for answers to their questions and they say, we don't really know, but you got to get rid of it all. I was listening to Wretched Radio the other day. It could be called Wrecked Radio. And Todd Farreel is on there. He's not for real about the gospel. But he was going through and someone asked the question. His name was Jack or Jake. And I want to make a video called Dear Jake from Wretched Radio. Watch this. Because this was his question. How many sins do I have to turn away from to know I'm saved? And Todd Farrell, I don't know if you've ever watched Wrecked Radio, whatever it is. But he does this camera stuff where he's like in and out like, ooh, wow. It's like really, you know, exciting stuff. And he basically says this, well, you know, the Bible says you've got to turn from them all, but you know, we can't do that. You just got to do your best, Jake. You just got to do your best. Hundreds of thousands of views. Hundreds of thousands of views. It doesn't save. That's not the gospel message. We're going to look at that word repent. That's actually the first part of this, this three-part series. We intend to follow and obey him. This is from the, the author again. Though we may not yet understand much of what it means, for we realize that he is the only one who can rescue us from our desperate state. To state it another way, it is impossible for us to save ourselves. You see how backwards this is? It's one thing and then it's another. And when you get down to the nitty gritty, you find out you're a sinner. You can't stop sinning no matter how many times you try. And according to this man's gospel, you're not going to go. Because you're trusting in yourself. You have to trust in some product that you can produce. Isn't that scary? I think that's scary. And so I was getting those messages over the past couple weeks, and I thought, you know, Bible Doctrines 2 has an excellent description of soteriology. And this is from Dr. Mark Cambron's book, Bible Doctrines, which is available in PDF format. Maybe the next time we go live on Facebook, we can put, in the, we can put a link to this here so you can see what's going on. Dr. Mark Cambron, who um, I believe Dr. Gilbert sat under, am I correct? And uh, Dr. Gilbert made this PowerPoint years ago. I edited some things just for uh, visual clarity. And I want to apologize. Some of the verses on here, they have to be on there, but they're tiny. Okay, so just bear with me. And if you want a copy of this, we can secure a copy of it for you. But over the next couple of weeks, maybe a third week, we're going to be going into detail about soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Why is this important? Because it's the way to eternal life. And we've got to make sure that we know what it is and our antennas are up when we hear what it's not. The first thing we want to talk about here is a word about the word repentance. 
Repentance is necessary for salvation. Repentance is necessary for salvation. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. We're going to look at Acts 17, 18, a part of verse 23 through 25 and 29 through 34. He preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. We ought to know what that word means, because it's very clear God is commanding us to repent. The author we just looked at offers the definition that it is a turning from something, a giving up of something on your part, and a promise to do something else. We are wrong when we say you do not have to repent to get saved. We're wrong when we say that. We have to understand what the word means. It's not a difficult word, but it's important to know what it means. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. Who is this? This is Jesus who is being spoken of here. Read that again, understanding the, the one who is being spoken of. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, Jesus, whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is proof that he was who he claimed to be and he did exactly what he cried out on the cross. It was completed. It is finished. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. It's a good passage because you have the command to repent and then you have the result of that proper repentance. So let's look at the word. If you're taking notes, we're going to have the point on the left side of the screen and then we'll have an explanation. The previous point will stay for the next point. So I encourage you to write down things as we go along. Repentance, what it is not. Number one, it is not reformation. It is not turning from something. It is not a reforming of yourself into something else by yourself. Okay? Reformation is a good thing. We do this every January uh, 1st, and we start on J uh, December 29th and 30th and 31st. We're looking at how can we reform ourselves. But specifically, <laughs> repentance is not a turning from sin. It's not a physical turning around. I will promise to do these things. This is a quote from Dr. Mark Cameron. Repentance is not doing something, for no man is saved because he gives up something. You know, the scripture proves that out. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If we're honest and direct, we can look at not of works, lest any man should boast, and say, any turning of sin on my part is a work. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. But to him that worketh not. So no, the command here from God in, in, in the passage in Acts 17 we just looked at is not to turn from their sin. It is not contrition or sorrow for sin. And this is a long quote here, but it's good. So if you can read it, that's good. If not, just, just listen to my voice. 
This is a commentator here. Broadus used to say that this is the worst translation in the New Testament. Okay, that's a pretty serious claim. We should be able to back it up. What's going on here? The trouble is that the English word repent, the English word repent means to be sorry again from the, lat from the Latin, as you can see up there. I'm not going to try to pronounce that. John did not call the people to be sorry, but to change, think afterwards, their mental attitudes. The Vulgate has it, do penance, and Wycliffe has followed that. The Old Syriac has it better, turn ye. The French has it as, as it's written up there. This is John's great word, and it has been hopelessly mistranslated. The tragedy of it is, we have no English word that reproduces exactly the meaning and atmosphere of the Greek word. The Greek word has a meaning to be sorry, which is exactly our English word, repent, and it is used of Judas in Matthew 27, 3. That's from A.T. Robertson. Now, what does this say? This is not a cop-out. This is not to say, well, we really don't know what the word means. We do know what the word means. In Greek, we understand what the word means. The problem is, in the translation, it's been translated as a word that has changed its meaning, and this is not the only word in the scripture that has done this. The word let used to mean hinder. Now it means allow. And so when you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he that letteth will let no more, you're like, what does that mean? But when you look at the Greek, and you don't have to be a Greek scholar. You have eSword on your computer, which is a free program, and you download the exhaustive uh, Strong's Concordance. You can see the Greek word, and the first definition is how it is most often translated. And the further you go down, it's translated less. And at the end, you can see it's translated this word this many times. It's translated this word this many times. And what you have to find out is you've got to go to the context and see, is that correct? This is why we harp on context is king. We can't look at one verse and say, okay, I've got to crack everything in this one verse. You've got to look at 10 verses before and 10 verses after, and you'll understand if that's correct. Strong's Concordance is not God, but they've done a very good job of translating the word, and we can use that. But no, Jesus is not saying that all men need to be sorry for their sin. Or God is not, God is not asking that. Being sorry for sin is not repentance, but it can lead to repentance, and that's what we're about to look at here. That's from Dr. Mark Cameron. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 says this, For godly sorrow worketh repentance... To salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Number three, it's not penance. And here in the Tampa Bay area, in town and country, this is what a lot of people think the word repent means. How many of you were raised in a Catholic church or have come from a Catholic background? Please raise your hand. That's a lot of people. It is not penance. It is not an act done to pay for sin. Folks, one payment has already been applied for sin. It's Jesus Christ's blood, his offering of his body on the cross. Any kind of act that you and I do, listen, when we say, I'm going to give penance for my salvation, do you know that you're taking your good works and elevating them to the same level as the offered body and sacrificed blood of Jesus? I don't want to stand around you. You might get struck by holy lightning. You know what I'm saying? And I... Some, some may think this is a mockery of the Catholic Church. It's not. This is an analysis of the Scripture, which is what we should be doing every Sunday and Wednesday when we have service. In the Roman church system, priests hear confessions of sins and meet out penances to be performed as punishment for those sins and to earn forgiveness for those sins. 
But the Bible says that the wages of sin, uh, the wages sin pays is not punishment nor penance, but death. You see how the Catholic Church is dishonest in what is required? You have two, you have two prevailing voices within the Catholic Church. You have the priests and the pope and the system, the cardinals and bishops and all those guys, the leadership. Then you have the word of God. How many times has the pope said something in the last 10 years that completely contradicts this book? Many, many times. Many times. That is a warning, 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 red flag. Why is he not saying something that matches up with the Bible? Is he not the vicar of Christ? Is he not the mouthpiece of God? That's a whole nother thing for a whole nother day. Okay? But you've got to choose. You're going to listen to the leadership? Or are you going to listen to the Bible? And if you listen to the leadership, are they listening to the Bible? It's important. The wages sin pays is not punishment, nor penance, which is taught as purgatory. Right? I've never been to a Catholic funeral, but I've had people that have gone... And they say in every single one, there's not one Catholic that has died where the priest says, we all know he's in hell. Oh, we know that's where he is. What do they say? He's probably in purgatory or in a better place. For all the work the Catholics want you to do to stay out of hell, when you die, you just go to heaven or purgatory anyway. What's going on here? It's not the truth. It falls apart. It has holes. The foundation is not secure. Romans 6.23 teaches this point. What it is, so if you're writing down notes, you're entering into a new thought here. What it is, it is a change of mind. The Greek word metanoia as a noun or metaneo as a verb says this, a change of mind to change one's mind. This is not as people take it further to say it's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. That's not the definition. That is not the definition of the word. Can a person have a change of mind for salvation and then have a course correction of action for service? Yes. And that is what is expected when Jesus says, count the cost, because it will cost. But it does not mean that a proof of salvation has to have works to back it up. That's not the word. The word just says a change of mind. And those are the Greek words that we have to look and understand the definition of. Before anyone is saved, there must be repentance. We're going to continue this theme for a little bit. Before anyone is saved, there must be repentance. And this is what? A change of mind. I like to sub the word with the definition, a change of mind. An unbeliever might have to change his mind about God. Acts 20 and verse 21 says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is a wonderful historical analysis on how to build a church. It is wonderful. It is wonderful. And the passages and the preaching and the strong language that comes out of the book of Acts, every single message when it uses the word repent points to it as a change of mind. You'll see in a moment here when we look at Acts chapter 2, Peter is talking to the Jews and he's saying, you crucified him. You need to repent about that. Turn from be sorry, ask penance. You need to change your mind about who you thought he was. Amen. Isn't it great when you're building a puzzle and you're looking for that piece for hours and you finally find the piece and you put it down so well there's a little 
and a little exit of air as that piece fits perfectly. The proper definition of repent as a change of mind is that puzzle piece going right in. It fits perfectly. And we're not cutting the puzzle. You know, I can't find this piece. I'm just going to make my own. No. <laughs> Even then, you're not going to get that airtight seal, right? You're not going to get that factory seal. This is the proper understanding of the word. And praise God that we are able to understand it. Isn't it wonderful to have these truths? The world has maligned this word. The Baptist movement for years has camped out on this. Oh, you got to turn. There's been whole messages. Turn or burn, turn or burn. Mm. Turn into your Bible <laughs> and understand the word. So an unbeliever might have to repent, change their mind about God. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward what? Or who? God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You study the audience there and this was applicable. You need to change your mind about who you think God is and have faith in the one that he sent. You know when it says in John, whosoever doeth the will of my Father, what's the will of the Father? That you would believe on him who he hath sent? This is wonderful. This is where you can take that word obey and you can obey the gospel by simple faith in him. Wonderful. The puzzle pieces are just sliding into place, amen? An unbeliever might have to change their mind about God, about Jesus. This is the long passage with the tiny print, okay? If you will, take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 2. Because you know what? I don't even think I can read that. <laughs> I was working on this last night and I was like, man, I can't, I can't make a... 80-foot slide, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, Peter is talking here. Let me, just, let me just remind you, a couple of months ago, I got a phone call from a, a lady who wanted to contend about this word repent. She was harassing me, just calling me all sorts of things, and going on, and I just look, I said, look at the context, look at the context, because she says, Acts 2.38, and she's walking around like, she's got a, you know, well, she has a weapon. This is it. Acts 2.38 is proof that Calvary Community Church is wrong. Let us look at what the scripture says. Look in verses, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you. I tried to read it from the slide. I'm sorry. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did put in him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And all the church said, Amen. That's some good stuff. And I didn't write that. Look at verses 32 through 33. This Jesus hath raised, hath God raised up, Wherefore, we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, talking about Jesus in his current position, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. How is that being communicated? Peter is showing him, and he's telling him. You killed him. This is what God says about him. This is where the children would go, uh-oh. You ever made a mistake as a kid? I, was watch, I don't know how this came up on my feed, but there was a, a channel called Work Fails on YouTube. Mm. Lots of uh-ohs. There's a guy buffing in a grocery store, and he comes around a corner, 
and he just lightly touches a big barrel full of wine. And you see the top bottle go, boom, crash, and the whole thing, I mean, the floor is red with wine. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh uh-oh. The guy's at the buffer, he goes like this. Oh. Oh. His buddy's out here like, I thought we were going to get paid this week. We're going to get paid for a couple of months. (laughs) He's showing them a point here. He's saying, this is what you thought. This is the truth. Look there in verses 36 and 38. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. This is not ponder and wonder and write theological books. If, if, if. We don't really know what it means to turn from sin, but we're going to try our best. No. Know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye hath crucified, Lord and Christ. And the point here is not shame on you, Jewish people. That's not the point. The point is change your mind and believe on him. Look what it says in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I think there's a logical case here that they got saved right there. Because they heard the evidence, they saw the truth, and they believed. And some men were curious. A couple years ago, there was a famous Easter production. And they got to this part, and they destroyed it. The character who played Peter, when he was asked, what must we do to be saved? He literally said, turn from sin and ask him into your heart. That's a heresy. You know why it's a heresy? It's changing the word of God to say something that it does not say. Look what it says in verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent. You see how clearly this is a change of mind? The Greek word there is metanoia. Or metaneo. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Water baptism doesn't save you. When they believed, they're sealed. Ooh. That's good stuff. People need, everybody around the world needs to change their mind about Jesus. Do you see how we're living in a time where the whole world is united against God? It is scary. I was talking to my uncle the other day. We're talking about doing an ESL second language course here. And I was talking to my uncle and he, you know, I was like, well, we'll provide a phone number on the church and we'll get somebody who speaks Spanish to man the phone. My uncle goes, don't worry about that. Google Oh, we said their name. We're being tracked. Google now. You can buy a phone. Excuse me. You can sign up for a soft phone. And the native software is able to translate, identify the language in which it's being spoke, and translate in your language on your account. Do you realize how crazy that is? That you can literally get a phone call from anywhere around the world and have an intelligent conversation? The whole, and, and what is the mindset of the world right now? Not about God. We are in full-blown secular humanism. A humanistic utopia is what is trying to be set up. Hmm, I wonder what that sounds like. Maybe a one-world government? Conspiracy theorist! Come on. Let's take the tinfoil hat off and look at the reality of things. We just heard a, a world leader say, you know what, when you get sick, it's because your DNA's messed up. Don't you know? So we need to give you an injection to change your DNA. No problem. What? Keep that away from me. Can't wait for a world leader. That's what our world's looking for. 
But when you see this passage understood properly, people need to have a change of mind about who Jesus is. This is who he is. Whoop. Sorry. Right here. He is both Lord and Christ. You've got to make him the Lord of your life. He's already got that title. He's not waiting for you to claim that title for him. That's gonna, we're going to get into that too. They need to, uh, an unbeliever might have to repent, change their mind about God, Jesus, and the way of salvation. Acts 17, verses 30 through 31. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to what? To change their mind. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. You need to change your mind because if you die without doing so, you're going to stand in judgment. And you'll be judged by your works. And you will fall short. Wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is our assurance. 1 Corinthians 15 says, If we don't have the resurrection, we are of all men miserable. What does he mean by that? You don't, I don't know if you remember in Acts chapter 5. The apostles are about to get their bodies lit up by the council. And I'm not talking about they're going to get new clothes. <laughs> they're going to get new scars and marks. They're about to be beaten. And Gamaliel says, whoa, whoa, hey, 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 hey. Before we strike these men, let's look at some other uh, things that have come up recently with you know, cult-like followings and see how they ended. And he gives three or, uh, two or three examples. Oh, this guy, he was uh, real popular and he had a following and then he died and the following dispersed. And if you remember this guy, he did the same thing. Had a cult-like following and then he died and it dispersed. What's the difference with Jesus? He came back from the dead. And his apostles are pretty lit up about it. They're excited. They have power. They are doing miracles. And Gamaliel says, we better make sure that we are not punishing something that is from God. And you know what the council did? Okay. And they beat him. <laughs> they beat him. That's the famous passage where it says we ought to obey God rather than men. The way of salvation. His resurrection gives what we need to change our mind about that. I'm not going to trust in somebody's gravesite that I can visit and their bodies in there. I got to see the gravesite at Israel, right, Warren? And we walked in, brother, and it was empty, wasn't it? Praise God. Praise God that I, I, I don't have to go visit the body of Christ somewhere. Mm. There's nothing in the world like it. An unbeliever might have to change their mind about God, about Jesus, about the way of salvation, and about self-righteousness. Romans 10, verses 2 through 4, For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. This is all the famous preachers right now. They have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. We just had that scripture read in Matthew chapter 7. Lord, Lord, have we not? Works, works, and these works. And what does Jesus say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Listen, what does that mean? That means that they were trusting in their self-righteousness. 
that they were trusting in the things that they had done to save them. They did not repent, change their mind, and believe on him. They have a zeal for God. This is specifically about the Jews, but we can look at anybody who's trusting in themselves to be saved and say they have a zeal. They're excited. They're faithful. They're doing. But not according to knowledge. You know, this, this weekend, I've got to get my water heater changed. I can somehow, by a miracle of God, get excited about that. Right? And I can be excited, and I go to Home Depot, and I buy the first one that I see. And I pay for it, and I put it in my truck, and I go to my house, and I'm just so excited to change the water heater. And I just look at it and say, this is simple. Just get a thingy with a thingy and lefty-loosey, righty-tighty. And I don't, you know what I'm saying? I have a zeal to get it done, but I have no idea what I'm doing. If I don't shut off the water, I'm going to call my brand new home insurance and they'll probably drop me. You know what I'm saying? If I buy the real tall water heater, it's going under my stairs. That's not going to work. I can be excited about changing our garbage disposal. Oh, yay! And not have any idea how to do it except buy the thing. Do you understand the, the comparison here? People are, may be excited about God, but it's not according to knowledge because this book has been abandoned. People have decided to write books about this book, and people take that book over this one. We need to know what it says and obey it. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that what? Believeth. Believeth. It would be a shame for a lost person to die and not have the righteousness of God. They'll be judged according to their works and they'll fall short. There needs to be a change of mind about self-righteousness. How is that attained? By believing on Jesus. He gives you everything that you'll ever need. Lastly, an unbeliever might have to repent about God, Jesus, the way of salvation, self-righteousness, and what God requires because of sins. Romans 6.23 is a simple verse, yet very profound. For the wages of sin is death. This is what it yields. Separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to get my phone back out here. Knowing what we know so far about what we just discussed, we can then look at what the author before us said and compare it against Scripture and see what is correct. Jesus' understanding of belief in him contradicts today's prevailing gospel, which declares salvation to be a free gift that costs a person nothing. Jesus unequivocally called men to calculate the cost, making a decision to follow him. May I present to you Romans chapter 6 in verse 23, which contradicts the writings of this man. I may keep that book. I'm never going to give it to anybody. It's not teaching the truth. Well, why are you so hard? Why are you so strong on this? The reason why I'm hard and strong, I'm not hard and strong towards this individual. I'm, I'm hard and strong against that teaching because people will follow it and die and go to hell. And that's a shame. We're not talking about a million years and then they get out. This is eternity. They will be forgotten by you and me. But they're... The smoke of their torment will ascend forever. 
If a person has any reservations about obeying the Lord or is unwilling to relinquish anything or any sin, he is not ready to repent and believe in Christ for salvation. Let me read that with the proper understanding of repent. If a person has any reservations about obeying the Lord or is unwilling to relinquish anything or any sin, he is not ready to change his mind and believe in Christ for salvation. That doesn't make sense. It got printed. It got bought. What brings about repentance? Well, you have two columns here. To the unbeliever, the goodness of God. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The goodness of God is what was demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. That leads you to a place where you can change your mind. And this is a decision that you make. God is not going to force this upon you. He's not going to first grab your heart and make you do something. He wants you to choose him. And thank goodness we have Jesus to point us to that. To unbelievers, what brings about repentance is the gospel of God. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you realize what this verse teaches? That God is ever patient. He's ever patient. Those of you who have had children or have children now, get ready to be patient with them as they learn how to grab milk out of their cup, as they learn how to take cereal up into their mouths, as they learn what they need to learn and create messes and are uncoordinated and difficult at times, you are to demonstrate the same kind of patience and loving discipline there that God has demonstrated to you. Amen? That's why parenting is a joy. It should be a joy. I really don't like when I see the world make having a child a career killer. Oh, it's the end because we have a child. Did you know that you were a child at one point? Someone had to love you and care for you. Repentance brings about to the unbeliever the gospel. To the believers, it's scripture teaching, which is what we're doing now. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance to acknowledging of the truth. As you and I learn these definitions, we learn these verses properly, we should, be, we should be willing to turn that around and teach. And teach. Not stand on the street corner and condemn without proper understanding. That's not teaching. To believers, it brings about God's chastening. We're talking about this tonight. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father's spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. As you are disciplined by the Lord, you should be doing one of these. Maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe I should stop doing that. I need to change my mind about this and do this. 
Thank you, God, who is our Father. This is the point of his chastening. I can't go into much of it because then we'll just have Sunday night here. <laughs> but it's a wonderful passage that talks about how God disciplines. I don't know if you guys remember a specific time as a child when you were, when you were disciplined for doing something wrong. And I don't know about you, but for me, it didn't take long for me to realize, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> you know? But a lot of Christians are acting like, I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to get disciplined. And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to get disciplined. And you know what? God's not going to go, and strike you down. He's going to go, all right, let's go. Better for you to be here than there. So you have that to look forward to. Or you can get it right and change your mind about what you're doing. And align it with what God says is good. Faith. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is how it was rolled out. For therein is the righteousness, therein is this, therein, the gospel of Christ, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by turning from sin. Do you see that there? And you can take these definitions that people offer you and match it up with Scripture and see, they don't work. Romans 3.28 says this, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law, without the works. Well, you've got to be willing to turn. Therefore is a man justified. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Yeah, but you've got to turn. Without the deeds of the law. Yeah, but you've got to turn. Without the deeds of the law. Who's going to win that argument? It should be the Bible. The word of God that's clearly taught. Faith is just believing. The Greek word pistis, pistuo as a verb. Faith, believe. Believe and faith, as the Greek shows, are just the verb and noun for a concept that is really no different in English than in Greek. That concept is taking people at their word, trusting what they say is true. God doesn't need our money, works, or resolutions. What? We just saw in Acts that he's the one who sustains all things. He's not worshipped in temples made with hands. In fact, the temple design had to be given divinely. And those two are gone. There'll be a third one, and that'll be good for a little while. And then this whole thing is going to be destroyed. And we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. God doesn't need us to give him things. God's not running around life and saying, boy, if I just had a little more faith from Larry, I'd be able to get through the day. But he just wants to play piano. Mm. Oh, how Larry hinders me. <laughs> Keep playing though, brother. You know what I'm saying? We need you. But he would like to be taken at his word. I like how that's written. God is looking at us and saying, well, do you trust me? And isn't it a shame that people look at the God of the universe who literally spoke things into, uh, into existence and they say this, no. No, I don't believe in, I don't even believe you exist. Nevertheless, my body is a living testimony of your creative power. Or no, I am not going to take you at my word. I'm going to offer you something better. Do you not see how that is the heart of Cain? 
Or they say, yes, I believe you, but I'm going to do these things just in case. That's not, that's not trusting somebody. Can you imagine if a marriage started off that way? Yes, till death do us part, but let's set up some conditions. When I married my wife, I said, for better or for worse, and praise God, it's been pretty, pretty good. I hope she would say the same. Don't talk to her after service. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he would like to be taken at his word. He doesn't like to be made out to be a liar. God wants to be believed. You realize when we say no, we're calling him a liar? When we say no, that it's not by faith? Oh, but my dreams are better. Oh, but these people that flub about like a fish, they have the real proof. You're calling God a liar. That's a serious accusation. And may I humbly say, if you're here today and you've had an incorrect understanding of repentance, this ministry does not hate you. I don't hate you. I want you to understand what it really means and get saved. And you can be saved right now. Right where you're sitting, you can simply change your mind about what you thought and put your trust in Jesus. But don't I have to? No, that's it. Don't I have to walk down the aisle and wait for you to sing the 16th verse of Just As I Am? No. I was listening to a Baptist church. It was a highlight reel of this guy. It was a 20-minute invitation. That poor piano player, you know, slaving. And the guy starts with, if you want to get saved today, come on down. By the eighth time, he's like, if you want to just live a better life, come on down. By the 20th verse, he's like, if you have eyeballs and you can hear me, just come on down. And people are like, well... I mean, you know, it's, like, it's me. <laughs> I am here. He just wants to be believed. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to sign up for this church. The people here that understand the gospel want you to know this and get saved today. In a minute, I'll give an invitation. I'll ask for a raise of hands. That doesn't save you. It just lets me know, and we get to have a little party. It's fun. It's exciting when people get saved. It's wonderful. It's, it's the only thing that matters. I went to an estate sale yesterday, and we found this really nice wool coat, a long one. I look like I'm a New Yorker now, you know? And we're going to the estate sale, and Lucy's uh, in one room, and I, I'm talking with Jan in another room, and the boys are, are doing things, and Lucy's like, hey, come here, check this out. I put this thing on. It fits like a glove. It's awesome, you know? And as a big dude, that's tough. I put that thing on. I'm like, this is the exact time that I need this. It's going to be 30 degrees tomorrow. I put it on, and I asked for the price. It's $5. It was $5. I tried to button it, and I couldn't. I said, that's okay. I'll lose weight. This is great. Uh, yeah, it's a $5 wool coat. That's cool, but it's not as good as somebody trusting Christ. That's better than any deal or bargain or good thing that happens to us. We should be living a life that's set on leading people to Christ. And about that message, whoop, okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, Jesse, stop here. So that's where we'll stop. <laughs> Can we get that slide in everything? Yeah, I know, really, really. Close your Bibles and look up here. If we can get the lights turned back on. Warren, if you can get these uh, spots here for me. Now, we just started in this series. It's a, it's a long PowerPoint. I'm going to be talking about it next week, and we'll talk about it the week after as well. And we're going to look at all the different phrases, and we're just going to simply offer up Scripture to test those things. Well, are they true? 
Is giving your life a part of the salvation process? Is it a natural part of the salvation process? Is turning from sin something that you should be doing after you're saved to stay saved or just to be in God's, uh, just to be an ability for God to bless you? And we're going to go through these things and we're going to look at the scripture. And I encourage you very, very strongly to be here or be on the live stream. We're going to edit these. We're going to put them on sermon audio. These three we will put up on YouTube because I think it'll be a good benefit. But make, make sure you come ready to learn. I love doing these PowerPoints. They're just, it's good to put it up there on, on the screen and, and get it all out there so everybody can see it and understand. Illustrations are important. They help communicate a message. And the illustration that you've seen, that you're going to see again, led a lot of people to the Lord over the past month in a VA hospital. It impacted Dr. Hank Lindstrom, who went on to impact thousands for Christ. You hear Yankee saying, the little old living room in Athens, Georgia. The wallet illustration wasn't there, but the gospel message was. And he got saved. And he learned this. This is not the method of salvation. You've got to see the wallet. God's not going to go, did you see the wallet? No. You know, people can go to a Catholic church and a Catholic priest might get it right and somebody gets saved. Because it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. What is this communicating? This hand will represent you and me. My wallet will represent sin. I'm going to put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. God loves us, but he does hate this sin he hates this sin because it separates us from him. In order to get to heaven, we have to be perfect, just like God, and we all fall short. That's the definition of sin, to miss the mark. A lot of churches, a lot of religions are teaching works for salvation. I'm going to let this song agenda here represent works. This is turning from sin. This is the improper understanding of repentance. This is saying that you've got to have miracles to show that you're really saved or you've got to live a life of discipline to show that you're really saved. It's any kind of message that contradicts what the Bible says. And they say this, well, you've got your sin and you do this. And when God gets to heaven, he'll judge these two. And whichever one has more weight, he will honor. If you have more good works, you'll get to heaven. If you don't have enough good works, you'll go to hell. That's not what the Bible teaches. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we get when we do this. Oh, I'm going to work it out. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Of the seven, that is four points, and it's all bad news. This hand, for the sake of this illustration, will represent Jesus Christ. And John 3.16 so adequately illustrates what was done. But Jesus was perfect. He had no sin. He was not born of natural conception like you and me. He didn't have a sin nature that he had to fight through and, and overcome. He didn't have it. He is fully God and he is fully man. And he said to Nicodemus in the dead of night, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, that's you and me. That he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ. That whosoever, hello, that's you and me. Whosoever believeth in him. 
whosoever believeth in him. What does it mean to believe? To take him at his word. Yes, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You were buried and you rose again. I believe that was the payment for my sin. Immediately you are passed from death unto life. You are given a new nature. You have a new name in heaven. There are promises that are now applied and accredited to your account. Colossians 1 says that you are translated into the kingdom of his dear son. You're already there. By simply saying, yes, I believe what you said is true. That's good stuff. Now you have a fellowship with him that is maintained by you, but it's kept by him. I don't want this anymore. I don't want to. Let me go. No, that's, guess what? You're his child now. He knows what's best for you. And he's made a promise that when he saves you, he does it eternally. Isn't that good stuff? That is the word of God illustrated in that illustration. Would you bow your head, please, and close your eyes? This is the end of our message. As we are about to pray and sing a closing song by Warren, I want to ask you a question. If you're here today, maybe as a new visitor, maybe you've been coming for a little bit this year, maybe you've been here for years, I want to ask you, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Are you trusting in a decision that you made years ago out of your own effort and your own promise to do good works for God? Have you simply by faith believed what God has said about your salvation and believed that he did it for you? Maybe you've never done that until today. Maybe during the message, you changed your mind. You repented and you believed on Jesus for salvation. If you did that today, I would like to pray for you. I ask for heads bowed and eyes closed for privacy. But is there anyone by a raised hand that would just say, Pastor Jesse, would you pray for me? Today I got it and I trusted Christ. Anyone at all before we close? Raising your hand doesn't save you. If you believed on Christ and you don't raise your hand, that doesn't mean it doesn't count. But if you would, raise your hand and let me know. I'd be really happy about that. Anyone at all before we close? Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. I just read you one excerpt. There are thousands of books out there that teach this same junk about the word repent, about what salvation truly is and what it is not. I want to encourage you to make time to be here, and if you can't be here, make time to watch it. When these videos go live, please share them. Not so that we can get stats and numbers. I don't care about that. I want someone to be challenged with the Bible and come to a change of mind. Pray for this ministry. We pray for you. And we love that you're here. Father, thank you so much for your word, which is clear and we can understand it. Lord, I ask for those that are here this morning who've been challenged for the first time on this idea of biblical salvation, that they would change their mind and believe on Jesus for the salvation of their souls. Bring us back here safely tonight. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode. As a thank you to our listeners, we want to give away a free Bible every month this year. To enter, send us an email with your Bible question. Our email address is questions at BibleLineMinistries.org. 
Be sure to subscribe to the show and check back each Thursday for new episodes. Until next time, keep looking up. Jesus is coming soon.